What's up? It's episode 107, Pain Points of Wealth. And surprisingly, economic data continues to come in relatively strong. Meanwhile, inflation is starting to plummet, whether it's oil prices, lumber cost, supply chains easing. We're starting to see some relief within the economy. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Or is this just a fake out as Wall Street continues to tell us the economy is about to fall off a cliff? We're going to give you our thoughts on that today. And we're going to talk about your ego and why it's ruining your financial independence plan. Check it out. We've got a great show. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. You know, Chris, I always like to start off a show where we're talking about your ego, not Ryan's ego. How is that? Well, you know what, Dad? I'm actually surprised that all three of us are able to fit on the screen, uh, considering how big Ryan's ego is. But, uh, you know, I digress. <laughs> you know, guys, when I built that house in Gwinnett, I had to make the door a little wider just so Ryan could get his head through the door. But uh, don't digress. Let's, let's get focused on what's going on here, right? You're right, Ryan. Oil's coming down. Housing prices are dropping. Mortgage rates are coming down because the 10-year Treasury traded under 3.5% this week, right? And I just can't believe the pundits keep telling us over and over and over again that, you know, things are really bad. I mean, you know, wasn't it Goldman Sachs that's now predicting that the S&P may hit 3,600 next year? By the way, we're at 4,000 today. Uh, aren't they the same folks that told us we'd be at $120 a barrel uh, oil right now? Yeah, it's just been a drumbeat, especially this past week. It seems like we had this huge rally in the markets. I mean, markets have literally turned on a dime. Um, the Dow Jones did 20% over two months, which is just a crazy return. And you would think that would create some bullishness. You know, people start getting more optimistic, but that's not what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing all the bankers. They're telling you that, oh, man, I'm really wary about this market. It's probably going to go down here at some point in the near future. This, everyone just keeps saying it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to have a recession. And you know what? I'm going to argue for a minute here because one of the big, big, I guess, ideas on Wall Street right now is – Good news is bad news. Good news is always good news. I don't care what anybody says. You know, people having jobs is good news. The ISM service numbers were really good. We're a service economy. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it's crazy that we can spin this where we're seeing great economic data and all of a sudden, oh, that's not a good, that's not a good signal. That's a bad signal. How? You know, I think, I think that good news is bad news and bad news is good news is, is, is accurate, right? You know, if you look at all the headlines that are coming out now, it's all but certain that we're going into a recession in 2023. I was talking to a client of mine last week. Um, he was talk, telling me about a friend of his who is a quote-unquote market expert, knows for a fact that by Q2 next year, we are 100% going into a recession. So it's kind of like when the bad news is coming out, you know, that's the time to really step on the gas pedal. Well, the thing is, you know what, guys? Recessions can be rolling. It can be a hard landing. It can be a soft landing. But, you know, based on the economic data, Rye, that you just spoke about, we're going to have no landing, right? Everything's going to, it looks like it's rolling right along. But, you know, what's interesting is that the banks, you know, which make their money by lending, <clears throat> since they're, they're kind of, they seem like they're trying to make it up on the backs of their depositors right now. I can't tell you how many clients I've spoken to in the last month um, about their money market fund at some of the major banks, like 1% or, you know, one-tenth of 1%. You know, the, the short-term treasury yields are almost 4%. Uh, 
So the banks are making a huge profit on your cash right now. So if you have a big, you know, you have a big hoard of cash somewhere, you know, give the bank a call because they're, they're looking at they're looking at you like you're fat, dumb, and happy, uh, and they're making a nice profit off of your cash balance. Wait, Dad, hang on a second. You know, last year they were getting less than one percent in their money markets. Now they're getting one percent. The bank gets two. Everybody wins. <laughs> I know, Chris. You called me the other day and said, why don't we start a bank? The profit margins are huge. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's the two lessons here. Number one, you know, if you're sitting in a bank account right now earning nothing, move your money. Number two, I want to own those bank stocks because if you're the bank, you know, you're, you're making these profit margins are tremendous right now. Never mind, you're probably getting a 3 4% dividend on banking stocks right now. And those dividends increase over time. So it's like, be the owner not the uh, consumer, and move your money as quick as possible. You know what, Ryan? I think Bob's bank's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> the bank of Bob is more like it, Chris. And every time I turn around, there's somebody in our family hitting the bank of Bob, but I digress. But you know what? I'm going to console all my clients who are getting no return on their corporate cash accounts and their bank accounts, you know, just so the bank can make profits so Ryan's bank stock can go up. I'll just let them know that. You know, it's like, yeah, Ryan wants his bank stocks to go up. So, yeah, too bad. You know, they're, they're nickel and diming on fees. And that's, uh, that's really what's going on right now. I think I should point out that the analogy for, for or the three-letter acronym for Bank of Bob is Bob. Wow, Chris. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Chris, you're in charge of marketing for now. Long. <laughs> you know, as well as the market's recovered so far this year, because I think of this negative drumbeat from the financial news and, you know, just the regular uh, channels, you know, investor sentiment is still really negative. You know, you know, people just don't feel comfortable. Now, look, I'm in Naples. You know, I run into a lot of retired folks, and I've been hearing this for the last, you know, 20 years that I've been down here. Um, Bob, how is it possible that the market can go up when things are so bad? They always think things are so bad. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, a lot of investors feel that way right now. They're missing out on some really terrific opportunities. Well, they are. And again, you know, you just see these big moves when they happen. They come unexpectedly. We've talked about that a lot. And it's kind of like you have all these bull markets happening kind of hidden in plain sight. Like I didn't even realize that if you look at the FTSE 100, that's the UK stock market, there's been no good news out of England all year, right? Their, their government's right. messed up. They've got hyperinflation. They've got more problems than we have over here. They've got an energy crisis, yet their stock market is actually flat for the year. And even Germany, and Germany probably has the worst news, right? They're getting hit the hardest from this energy crisis. Their stock market's doing better than ours. It's only down like 9% this year in local currency terms. And meanwhile, Latin America is hot. It's up 14% for the year. So, you know, I think the bottom line is we get so focused on the U.S. market, and not just the U.S. market, the S&P 500, which is about, you know, 40% in communication services. That's technology and just straight ahead technology stocks and consumer discretionary, which is like big names like Amazon. So it's really, really skewed. They've been the worst places to be. And if you start looking outside of big tech, out of disruptive technology, all the, the names that we've talked about over and over again being overvalued, um, you, know, you have a lot of markets right now that are not only recovering, but are going positive for the year. And this is why it's so critical to diversify because the world's probably not as bad shape as you've been hearing you know, within the media right now. Well, you know, everything's cyclical, guys. So, you know, everything reverts to the mean, as, I, as I've said many, many times in the past. And, you know, Latin America is hot right now because we've had a global co a commodity boom. And they're a commodity-based economy. Meanwhile, China um, keeps threatening to come out of COVID restrictions. 
and there's a market that the pundits have been telling me, you know, on CNBC and Fox Business that, you know, China's markets are uninvestable. Meanwhile, the market just rallied 25 percent in the last two months. So there's a reason why a lot of these pundits underperform or why they work forever because they never make any money because they're never invested. You know what I love? I love when people say that, that certain markets are uninvestable. It's like uh, you're not using an iPhone. Um, you know, you're not using any household good that comes from China. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, every major company in the U.S. is doing business in China, um, yet it's uninvestable, right? Ask Apple <laughs> if China is uninvestable, <laughs> given the fact that that's where they invested all their money into producing iPhones. So yeah, so it's like right in plain sight. Yet you hear these headlines; they sound so smart. But meanwhile, it's the second largest economy in the world. It's clearly bottomed here, and China basically drives everything. When China, China demand goes up again, that's good for everybody, and it's just about to happen. We're on the verge of that, yet we want to sit here and twiddle our thumbs and say it's so bad that unemployment's so low. Interest rates are going to stay a little bit higher for a little bit longer. It's nonsense. Well, you know what it is, guys. We have um, a world stock market capitalization that's dominated by the U.S. Now, it's not 100% of the world stock market capitalization. It's close to 55, some, sometimes, and, and, and any time during the year could be as much as 60%. But you're talking about more than half of all the companies publicly traded are outside of the U.S. And, you know, we tend to have this home bias, right? We always want to bet on the good old U.S. of A. But, Chris, you just had a client from Malaysia. And where did they have all their money? Was it all U.S.? They didn't have a single penny in the U.S. It was all in the emerging markets. Yeah, it's amazing, right? So it's like, well, well, why are you invested all Malaysian companies? Well, because Malaysia's safe. That U.S. is a real risky place. I mean, you didn't see all the bad news over there? I mean, and that's kind of how we feel, right? I don't want to invest in China. It's risky. I don't want to invest in Europe. Oh, they're having hard times. I don't want to be in Latin America, for crying out loud. Right. But that's where the opportunities are in all markets. Right. All markets revert to the mean. All markets are cyclical. It's always about buying low, guys. And if you just redline the entire world stock market capitalization, you never get a chance to buy low because you've already eliminated that from your thought process. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 107, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, Bob, Chris, and I will run for you our total financial master plan, and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. There's no other firm out there that will do this kind of work up front. We do a holistic, full financial plan. In fact, we build you your own personalized financial portal to give you a bird's-eye view of your entire financial life, and we just hone in on every issue you need to address today. We look at an income plan. If you're getting close to retirement or retired now, how do you draw from your portfolios? How do you optimize for inflation? We look at a savings and a expense plan. How much should you be saving every year? How do you optimize that for taxes? Money saved in taxes is just as green as any money you can make invested. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We give you our full tax playbook, and we look at diversification. We look at everything you're invested in. We look at all those hidden costs on those annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, Show you how to reduce that cost, properly diversify your portfolio to give you the best odds of success so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan. If you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence retirement plan, go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, of course, P-A-Y-N-E. 
having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, actually Bob and I were talking about this recently. And at our boutique firm, Pain Capital Management, you know, we pretty much focus on financial planning. And we look at so many different portfolios a month, something like 50 different portfolios a month. We see every single strategy out there. We know what every investor's thinking. We know how they screw up. And I would say that one of the biggest mistakes investors make when you're trying to plan for your financial independence is you let your ego get in the way. And nothing makes for a worse financial plan than letting your ego dictate a lot of your financial decisions. No, it's so true, guys. I mean, we've done you know so many different seminars um, about the historical rates of return of the markets. We've done so much due diligence, read so much academic research that shows that no one can beat the market. No one, right? It's, you know, maybe you get lucky and you outperform for a year, but it doesn't continue. So there's never been a, you know, a company, an individual that's been able to consistently outperform the market. But what do people do? They got to try and prove that because my ego says I can do it. I'm going to go out there and underperform, even lose money trying. And I'm telling you, please, this, I'm disabusing of that notion right now. No one can beat the market. Well, investing with your ego is kind of like when you're driving and you don't look, in, look at your rearview mirror or your blind spots when you're changing lanes. And I'll give you a really good example of this. I was meeting with a client a few months back down in Florida, and he was just going through the entire portfolio and tell, telling me how he doesn't want to invest in anything international. And when I asked him why, he said it's because it doesn't do me any good. Like, there's nothing good overseas. <laughs> so I made him get up. We walked out to his driveway, and I pointed to his car. I said, what kind of car do you have? He said, it's a Kia. I said, where do they make a Kia? He said, Korea. I said, is your Kia not a good car? He's like, well, it is. I said, well, that's international markets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, pretty amazing. You'd be astounded if you saw every, almost like every Fortune 500 company actually manufacturers in China. We don't, we're not allowed to talk about it, but it's true. You know, it's like, it's, it's an un, uh, uncomfortable truth. And I always say that too, when someone says like, oh, I would never invest in China, you know, it's, it's not patriotic. Then I'm saying, then get rid of your iPhone tomorrow, <laughs> right? Because that's made in China. So if you're really that patriotic, get rid of that phone. And I don't think America makes a phone. If they did, it's probably a really lousy phone, let's be honest. Well, I can tell you it has a rotary dial. If anybody right. remembers that. Rotary dial, <laughs> got a huge antenna. It looks like Bob's car phone from the 80s. <laughs> but you know, the other thing is interesting too, I was at this, uh, this, this charity event the other night, as one does here in New York. Um, and I was sitting next to a guy. And of course, he's telling me, you know, as soon as you're a wealth advisor, everyone has to tell you about how smart they are and how great their strategy is. And you have to shut up. And he says to me, he goes, oh, he's like, I got out of the market in January, of course, at the high <laughs> of the market. Uh, and I said to him, I said, why did you do that? And I gave him like, kind of a weird look. He goes, well, you know, I don't like what's going on out there. And I said, well, if you're in a diversified portfolio, you're, you're not down that much for the year. So like, there's no real point in being out. And I said, meanwhile, the economy's not that bad. He goes, whoa, 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 I don't like what I see. I'm being cautious here. Yeah, and I said, you know, once I once I turn the conversation around a little bit, it, it's kind of like it, it just seems ridiculous. And you know, a lot of times I think that's what it comes down to. We love to talk about how we're so smart and we're, we've done something better than everybody else when it comes to investing. And it's just like it ruins your financial life because if the market continues to go up this year, we might have a positive year. You don't get those returns back. That ruins your financial independence plan because you want it to sound smart and sound like you know what you're doing and you don't. Well, you know, guys, it's it's not just your ego. It's also, you know, remember the market has no ego and the market doesn't have a political affiliation. Um, I just saw an interesting study the other day. And, you know, let's face it, you know, we have a, we have a nation that's focused on their political ideology um, and they would ask people questions about a policy. 
And it would be a policy from the opposing party and say, well, this is what your party thinks. What do you think of that idea? Oh, it's a wonderful idea. And then they would go to another group from the same party and say, this is an idea from the opposing party. That's a horrible idea, right? So it's, it's amazing. You don't realize that you have these political you know, glasses on that kind of makes it fuzzy. And, and if you have your ego involved, you know, that, that's a really dangerous, you know, dangerous uh, combination. So just keep in mind, capital markets have no ego. Capital markets have no political affiliation. You know, I was talking to a client of mine a few years back when he first came on board and he had all these individual stocks. And as I was going through each one, explaining why I wanted to sell each one, he said, well, I don't want to sell those. Those are kind of like my friends. I said, well, <laughs> I said, they're great friends when they're doing well. I said, but they don't care about you because they'll go down at the drop of a hat. So don't love your investments because they don't love you back. And that's what you're seeing right now, right? It's like investors, Bob and I talked about this. They desperately want to recreate the past. And that's why the tech trade is so dangerous right now, because whatever the winners were the last 10 years, we just have this like innate want to keep owning those same trades because we think it's safe and everything changes, right? I mean, Amazon was an awesome stock the last 10 years. Apple was, Facebook but man, oh man, conditions can change drastically. And we talk about this a lot. And that can be dead money for a long time. But our recent experience, and people think 10 years is a long time in the stock market. It's not. Um, you know, they think, though, that's, that's what's good because I've been doing that for 10 years. Well, you know, the next decade can look completely different. And that's what we've seen over and over again. Like international outperformed my first decade in the business from 2000 to 2010. No one wanted to own U.S. stocks. And who knows? That trend could be happening right now again. That's why it's so critical to get your ego out of the way, be more open-minded, and you know, realize you don't know what you don't know. And that's why you've got to own a lot of different investments in your portfolio. You know, it's such a great point, Rye. It's like invest in the markets you have, not the markets you want. Now, you remember back in 2008 when you were getting ready to leave Merrill Lynch for an, and we were starting paying capital management, we were telling all of our clients that, yeah, this is a buying opportunity, generational low to invest in the U.S. market. And they tell us all the reasons for the next four years why the U.S. was never going to be as good as it was. I mean, just think about it. 2008, 2009, most of our clients only wanted to own emerging market stocks, right? They didn't want anything to do with the U.S. market. Now we're in the same, same situation. Here we are in 2022, right? We're way past you know, that bottom in 2008. And we tell our clients, hey, you got to make sure you have money in emerging markets. You got to make sure you're invested internationally. They're going, no, Bob, you don't understand. That never does well. You know, the only place to be is in the S&P 500. So it does go through cycles. And again, past performance is 100% predict predictive of past performance. Tells you nothing about what's going to happen over the yeah. next 6 to 12 months. Well, and, and think about that. That's a great point because when 0809 hit, we had a disastrous credit crisis in our country, and you really felt like the U.S. was done, right? We were so overleveraged, um, and literally we saw the stock market go down something like 60% after doing nothing for a decade, and you just felt like the U.S. was just in shambles. And like, how were we ever going to get out of that mess? Meanwhile, we were on the precipice of one of the greatest decades ever in innovation, right? Like, that's when... You know, Facebook and Google and Apple and all these stocks went on these magnificent runs was right when the darkest hour was right before the dawn. And now it feels that way when you talk about overseas. So it seems like when when things are the, the worst, I mean, we couldn't you couldn't come up with a good reason why the U.S. was a good place to be. We thought the we thought we thought the economy was ruined. You know, when the market, when the S&P was at six, six, six and unemployment went up astronomically, we forget those things today. Right. We forget just how dire it was. And meanwhile, that was 
a generational buy, to your point, Bob. It was one of the greatest times you could have bought ever. Well, that's a problem with these pundits on TV, right? You're on the other day, and this analyst is telling us, well, you know, I nailed it in 2008, and I had this buy signal, and, and you know, I've been long the market, but, you know, now I don't know what to do. I mean, it's like they always tell you what they did 20 years ago, 15 years ago, but there's no one on, except for us, that says, here's what you need to do now. Here's the opportunity now. It's always like, well, I'm constructive on the market, but I'm being cautious. Like, what does that do in terms of helping you to create wealth, right? You know, you need investment advice. You need to know what to do now. doesn't matter what happened yesterday. doesn't matter what's going to happen next week. It matters what you're doing with your money right now. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob. The LaSalle Network, eh, funny enough, Bob, was not the name of your alma mater, uh, a nationwide staffing and recruiting firm found in a recent survey 84% of companies it works with are planning to hire in 2023, marking roughly a 20% point climb from the share that was planning to hire a year ago. That doesn't sound like unemployment's going higher. Well, it just goes to show you that we have a very diversified economy. Um, you know, technology companies are laying off right now. But meanwhile, we still have two job openings for every person seeking a job. Uh, biggest complaint I still get from just about every business owner that I do business with is, Bob, I can't find workers. I can't find qualified people you know, to staff my business. My business would be growing dramatically if we could find the people. Yeah. I don't think the Fed's going to be able to solve this this labor problem um, because it's a supply issue, right? And we have a labor shortage in America. So it's it's one of the things we've been talking about a lot, but it's like every pundit is talking about how unemployment is definitely going up next year and, you know, people are going to start losing their jobs I don't think so. Well, that's the thing. You know, we, we know inflation wasn't caused by the wage inflation. I mean, I mean, Jay Powell, come on, give the worker a break. They're trying to catch up with the inflation you created, and now you're blaming it on them? My goodness. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not pretty, Bob. It's not pretty. Chris, random length lumber for January delivery settled at 423.80 per 1,000 board feet on November 29th. That's down 63% for the year. Lumber futures hit a 2022 intraday high of 1,477 in March, the highest since May of 2021, man, that's very, very disinflationary if you got lumber costs coming down and probably good for the housing market moving forward. Yeah, chances are uh, inflation's definitely coming down. But, you know, my brother-in-law, Nathan, as you guys know, owns a cabinet-making business. And uh, one of his biggest complaints last year was the price of lumber. Now it's starting to come down. He's really happy about it. But to your point earlier, right, he's having a hard time getting people. So, you know, never a perfect scenario for anybody. Yeah, ex exactly. Welcome to the world of business. <laughs> You got all the stars to line up right. You know you're you're getting set up for something very bad to happen. It never works that way. Um, Bob, we gotta get one '70s rock stat in here. On this month in 1976, the Eagles released "Hotel California" on the way to selling 32 million copies worldwide, making it the sixth best-selling album of all time. Bob, are you an Eagles fan? And I mean the band, not the. I'm a huge Eagle fan, both. Both the Philadelphia Eagles, who are um, on their way to a Super Bowl championship this year, <clears throat> and the Eagles, the band, love that album, Hotel California. But, you know, I'm glad you do these little spots on rock bands, right? Because, you know, Christy McVie, who was one of the lead singers in Fleetwood Mac, passed away the other day, and we had a call with our team. And I'm sad to say that 
Most of the people under 35 in our company didn't even know who Fleetwood Mac was. Made me very sad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is sad. It is sad. I mean, some of the, the great out, and Fleetwood Mac was one of the best. Um, and you're right. When people don't know who Fleetwood Mac is, it's like, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting old. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it isn't, isn't also your philosophy on vesting very much like the Hotel California? You can check it in, but it can never leave. Well, that's what I tell my clients. It's like they, they feel that way because, you know, what are they going to do, Chris? They're just going to blow the money anyway. Meanwhile, I can double it and triple it, you know, every 10 years. Leave it where it should be in the portfolio with me. Sounds like Bob loves your money more than you do. I thought that was the theme for an annuity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was just like some financial humor that maybe some of you will get. All right, guys. Another great show. If you love our podcast, you like it, you're even mediocrely warm on our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave some comments there if you can on Spotify if you like it. Uh, please, you can subscribe. And if this is on YouTube right now, you click the like button for this episode. You can subscribe to our channel. Click the notification bell. We update every week of our new content. Your enthusiasm support gives the ability to continue to do this podcast. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Pain Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Pain Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.